Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this morning that we could gather together here in this precious community of Urban Village Church, this family, this community that goes out and ignites the city and tries to live your gospel message of inclusivity. As Tuesday approaches and we get very nervous and worried, um, may we remember, God, that our hope is in you and your power to heal through your love, no matter what happens. Amen. So on Tuesday, we will elect the next president of the United States, as well as countless other federal, state, judiciary, and local positions. How many folks here, like me, feel a deep and yucky knot in the pit of our stomachs when we think about the election? If yes, give me an amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. When I think about this election, it fills me with a mixture of fear, anxiety, and even anger. I find myself in a place where I'm on edge, listening and waiting, feeling like I need to have perfect rebuttals and responses to people in order to redirect them towards the candidate I have selected. This defensiveness manifested itself a couple of weeks ago. I try to not make my Facebook page an arena for political discourse because I find that we sometimes respond in ways that we would never respond if we were together in person. However, in the wake of the circumstances that brought female degradation and abuse to the forefront of this election, I decided that I needed to post some statistics about violence against women in the United States, pointing out how violent rhetoric against women, as well as patriarchal biblical interpretations, perpetuate ideas about women being inferior to men. All of these factors contribute to this enactment of violence against women in our society today. I wanted to make a statement that the Christian church must be a part of changing this destructive narrative. I thought my message was strong, convicting, <laughs> and a universal message that wouldn't spark controversy, at least nothing that people would be willing to argue over. I was wrong. <laughs> right before going to bed, several people began to post counterclaims, and it sent me into a tizzy. In a fit of anger and a desire to retaliate, I deleted all of the counterposts and unfriended each person. <laughs> Once I had done this, I lay back in bed with a contented victory sigh. <laughs> but as I lay there, I felt something deep in the pit of my stomach, and for the next hour, I couldn't fall asleep. In Luke 22, 47 through 53, we encounter another situation that elicits fear defensiveness, and retaliation for those who are present. Jesus and his disciples had just finished celebrating the infamous Last Supper, and they moved outside of the city in order to pray. What would have been a time of quiet contemplation and meditation turned disastrous when the chief priests and the temple police showed up to arrest Jesus. In Jesus' time, the temple was a place of power within Jerusalem, not just socially, but politically and militarily. This power came primarily from the fact that the temple had become the center of aristocracy in Jerusalem. It was not just the faith of the temple that gave the chief priests and elders political power. It was their money and subsequent accessibility to military might. As a result, the temple elite had partial judicial authority. They could take 
part in arresting people, putting them on trial, and then executing justice. However, the authority was only partial because the temple elite still needed their actions approved and enacted through the Roman prefect Pontius Pilate, who was the ruler of the Jude Judean district of the Roman Empire. Thus, the temple elite only had authority to execute justice as far as it was approved through the re representative ruler of the Roman um, Empire. Thus, in order to legally arrest Jesus, the chief priests would have needed Pilate's prior approval. They didn't do this. Since the temple elite did not have tangible evidence against Jesus, they planned to influence Pilate into allowing them to punish Jesus. By arresting him in an illegal manner, they believed that they could use their power to force Pilate into complying with their political demands. This shady business was what Jesus alluded to when he asked them in verses 52 and 53. Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a bandit? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. Everything about Jesus' arrest was wrong. It was started by a kiss of betrayal from Jesus' intimate friend Judas. It was done in the darkness of night outside of the city and away from the, any observers. It was enacted under illegal practices and coercion. And it occurred during a time when Jesus and his disciples were peacefully praying and meditating with the very God that the temple elite claimed to represent. Needless to say, Jesus' disciples were pissed and they had every right to be. The scene unfolding in front of them was an epitome of injustice, betrayal by an intimate friend, power being used by oppressive rulers to maintain the status quo, and coercive force being used to falsely incriminate and arrest an innocent civilian. For these reasons, the disciples were ready to retaliate and protect their beloved. As verse 49 shows, when those who were around Jesus saw that what was coming, they asked, Lord, should we strike with the sword? When they saw representatives of the law equipped with the best weapons and military might approaching with corrupt intentions, the disciples were ready and willing to fight. However, Jesus never got the chance to respond to his disciples' question before one of his own struck. Motivated by the fear of the approaching military might that would surely overcome them and the unwillingness to let their beloved be captured, verse 50 tells us that a disciple struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Although this reaction and retaliation seems to make sense given the situation, Jesus' response gives the disciples an answer to their original question. In verse 51, Jesus says, No more of this. And he touched the slave's ear and healed him. Jesus responds to the question, Lord, should we strike with the sword? With a resounding no. Jesus responds to the action of retaliation driven by fear with an act of healing. In this time of fear and opposition, Jesus responds with healing and love rather than divisiveness or harm. And this truly shows us that the essence of God truly is love. In the face of hate and violence, Jesus loves his enemy to the point of healing them. Jesus shows that retaliation only perpetuates violence and divisiveness. Jesus knows that the only way to change to occur in the world and for it to be transformed is to respond with love directed toward healing and justice rather than to retaliate with violence or harm. This situation resonates with us. 
especially during this election season. This election has been particularly vitriolic, splitting people into binary groups and pitting them against one another. Within our social realms, family, friends, coworkers, acquaintances, whether we've chosen those groups or not, we often encounter frustrating, divisive, and harmful statements and messages. We hear those messages that tell us that black lives don't matter, that immigrants are not welcome, that the poor are greedy, that the LGBTQ community does not deserve full human rights, that women's bodies deserve to be controlled by men, and that indigenous sovereignty can be ignored when it benefits the United States government and businesses. Not only are these messages hurtful and wrong, but they also instill fear in our hearts over what will happen if these messages and statements gain political control in this election. At the very least, we recognize that Tuesday could make life harder for those of us who do not fit the mythic norm of power and privilege. As Tuesday approaches and we hear these statements, we, we turn to Jesus and we ask, Lord, should we strike with our swords? Whether our swords be words directed toward family members, Facebook trolling coworkers, breaking off friendships, wanting to actually get in a verbal or physical clash, or drawing ourselves away from relationships with people out of fear, our swords of defensiveness and retaliation are ready. Just like the disciples had placed their earthly hope in their beloved Jesus, helping them to defeat their earthly enemies, many of us have placed our hopes in earthly candidates fearful that all hope will be lost if they do not win. But Christ's response shows us something different. Jesus says, no more of this. Jesus tells the disciples to put down their swords. He tells them to stop putting their hope in his earthly power and might. He tells them to stop being fearful about the future because the future is not built on earthly power, but on the power of God's love directed toward healing and justice. Just as the disciples lashed out in fear and wounded the servant, so too do we. Whether our lashing out looks like condemning our families, posting a vitriolic comment on Facebook, ending friendships, calling the other side of our political spectrum derogatory names, or drawing away from everything and everyone to where it is safe and isolated, all of these moments mirror the disciples' retaliation out of fear and divisiveness, defensiveness. These responses are our natural human defenses in order to protect ourselves from hurt. But just as Jesus reached out and healed the wounded servant, so too does Jesus reach out to help heal our families, reconcile our friendships, redirect our Facebook comments, humanize our enemies, and call us into relationship. Jesus asks us to put down our swords and join him in the process of healing. Now, I do want to clarify, Jesus does not call us to be passive and submit to abuse. Jesus stands up for the truth, rebu rebuking the chief elders in verses 52 and 53. There are many examples of Jesus responding to the religious elite who abuse their power to oppress people in order to maintain the status quo and keep themselves rich in power, all in the name of God. For example, 
in Luke 19, Jesus is confrontational and even violent in response to the religious elite who are taking advantage of and abusing the poor by selling them goods and services under the auspices of religious requirement. Jesus overturns their tables and drives them from the temple, standing against abusive injustice. Jesus' model shows us that responding to fear and division with love directed toward healing and justice is not passive and submissive. Instead, God's love directed toward healing and justice calls people out. When people are being abused and taken advantage of, healing and love look like standing up to the oppressor in direct and vocal ways in order to free people from the clutches of abuse, whether it be individual or systemic. We must make it clear that God's love directed towards healing and justice demands that black lives do matter, that immigrants are welcome, that the poor don't deserve to be poor, that the LGBTQ community deserves full human rights, that women's bodies are solely under their own individual control, and that indigenous tribal sovereignty must be honored. This makes me think of an experience I had with a former faith community that was very precious to my life and well-being. Since this community was so important to me, I was filled with shock, fear, and anger when I heard through the rumor mill that a person was considering leaving the group because they disagreed with my sexuality. I wanted to retaliate in anger. I had a simultaneous desire to say divisive things so that she'd leave the group and also to pull away from her and the faith community altogether. But I took some time to step back and think and after some careful prayer and discernment, I decided to reach out to this person and set up a meeting. But before this meeting, I laid down some personal boundaries for myself. If the situation turned in a direction where I would begin to question my own wholeness and belovedness as a child of God, then I needed to remove myself. I needed to protect myself from an unnecessarily hurtful and hurtful situation. So after laying down my personal boundaries, we got together. This person listened as I called out the ways in which this situation hurt me. And I listened as she apologized and explained how her intentions were not meant to be harmful. We were able to discuss our thoughts, our beliefs, and our hearts. In the end, we did not change our beliefs in faith and sexuality. However, God brought about tremendous healing in our relationship by showing us that we were more whole and complete in community and relationship together because of our disagreements and differences, not despite of them. In fact, she ended up being a prophetic voice that encouraged me to follow my call to come to seminary. In the everyday conflict and fear we experience in our relationships, especially during this election season, Healing and love show up in the form of communicative relationships. Just as Jesus called out the chief priests for their injustices, we must call out injustice with love directed toward healing and justice in our relationships. This looks like calling out our families for how their comments hurt us. It looks like posting something informational rather than reactionary on Facebook. It looks like humanizing our political opponents as we want them to humanize us. And it looks like maintaining dialogue with people, even when it would be easier to disappear from their lives. 
these small but challenging reactions and situations of division and fear emulate Jesus's reactions of love directed toward healing and justice. As the election approaches, may we ground ourselves in this hope. No matter the outcome of the election, yes, no matter, God will be present with us. On all sides of the political aisle, people will be continuing to be hurt, fearful, and divided. There will be a great need for love and healing on Wednesday morning. Thus, God's call for us to respond in healing love towards justice will be more important than ever. If the election goes the way we fear, then we must resist retaliating out of that fear. Retaliating in divisive and defensive ways will not change the election results, nor our relationships with people around us. Instead, God in God's transformative love shows us that we must respond to divisiveness by calling out injustice in love directed towards healing among our friends, family, and communities in order to build deeper and more holistic relationships. Back in bed, as I lay there, the churning discomfort in my stomach, it wouldn't go away. Something about how I had reacted toward the comments on my Facebook post just didn't sit right. I felt peace about deleting the messages with which I disagreed, and even felt a bit okay about unfriending the person. I believe these to be reasonable responses. However, what I realized was that I had not challenged the people with whom I had disagreed. I had not called out what I viewed to be harmful messages. Instead, I had responded out of defensiveness and run away, denying myself the ability to take a stand towards healing and justice, and denying them the chance to participate in that healing process. Still in bed, I contemplated a response. After thinking, praying, feeling convicted, I jumped up and typed a private message explaining why I had deleted the person's post. When I sent the message, the churning feeling in my stomach diminished, although I was still worried about their response, but I, I felt peace, more peace. When the person did respond, we started a dialogue where apologies were exchanged and we were able to vocalize our opinions in ways that were respectful and less binary than they would have manifested themselves on our public Facebook walls. Although this private conversation did not lead to us refriending one another on Facebook, nor did we convince one another to vote differently, it did help us to enter a place of healing where we felt both heard and humanized. In times of fear, uncertainty, and division, such as this particularly vitriolic election season, it seems easier to retaliate with our metaphorical swords of words and relational separation. But as Jesus shows us, we are called to respond with love, directed toward healing, and not afraid to proclaim justice for all. Jesus calls us to put our metaphorical swords down. On Tuesday, we will elect the next president of the United States, as well as countless other federal, state, judiciary, and local positions. However, our hope does not rest in one particular election result or specific human candidate. Our hope is grounded on the healing power of God's love that directs us towards justice. 
May we go forward and live out our hope in the love of God so that others may experience this healing. Let us go transform our relationships towards justice through the healing power of God's love. Thanks be to God.